You're listening to The Holistic Travel Nurse. If you've never listened to me before, stay tuned. You're going to get good stuff here. I like to share and inspire you to take care of your health and do it naturally and give you the things that maybe people aren't talking about. Um, I found something that was just recently posted. I'm going to give give it to where it's supposed to be. This is going to be two parts in this thing. One, I'm going to share an interview with Dr. Carrie Madej and her healing. Um, but first, we're going to um, listen to the Functional Forum, um, and this about drug-induced nutrition depletion. I thought this is a really interesting conversation and forum that happened, and this you can find the, this whole thing, a Functional Forum on YouTube if you want to listen to the whole thing. We're just going to listen to a little bit, tickle your ears with the idea of, are your drugs depleting you of nutrition. Okay? Stay tuned. Nutrient depletion. Could it be a more important topic for physicians and providers alike as we chart the future of medicine? Um, we are live tonight, so you can ask questions if you go to Twitter and you make a tweet with hashtag functional forum. I'll find it and I can bring it uh, to the guests that we have on here tonight. So without further ado, let me introduce those guests. We have two uh, incredible women here who are on the front lines of health creation. Um, we are here with nurse practitioner Danny Williamson. Uh, welcome, Danny. Great to have you here on the show. Great to be here. It's been a, been long, a long time, time coming. coming. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. <laughs> Snap. And yep. then we have Kirsty Washam, who uh, is uh, a clinical pharmacist and um, knows all about polypharmacy and deprescribing, and we're going to get into it. And if you want to follow uh, Kirsty, you can go and check her out on Instagram as the Fed Up Pharmacist. I think that's how we connected first. So why don't I start with you, Kirsty? What are you so fed up about? You know, where to begin? Um, I think the biggest thing I'm fed up with is just the sheer volume of prescription medications that I see patients on on a daily basis. Um, I'm in the South, um, so a very high population of overweight, obese patients with a lot of comorbidities like diabetes and hypertension, um, high cholesterol. And it's not uncommon that in my practice in a hospital, that I'll see patients on up to 40 medications a month. Wow, 40 medications at one time. That's polypharmacy, like the definition of polypharmacy right there. Wow. Yeah, so um, how does that even happen? That's a great question. So, you know, the majority of patients are seeing multiple providers now. We no longer go just to one physician right for our needs medicine's been divvied up and so now patients have all these specialists so they have their primary care physician they've got their cardiologist they've got their endocrinologist and so we're just stacking um specialists and medications one on top of the other and no one is really stopping in a 15-minute appointment that a patient has to be twice a year with their physician no one's stopping to take the time to really comb through these exhaustive lists of medications that people have because it's time consuming, right? And it takes an eye for that. So what sort of role is there like a clinical pharmacist like yourself who is tasked with that? And in what sort of organizations is there someone with that job? Sure. So the majority of hospitals now do have clinical pharmacists such as myself in roles specifically geared towards something called medication reconciliation. 
so that is a pharmacist looking at medications in what we call transitions of care, right? So as patients are coming into hospital being admitted, they're being reviewed. And then as patients are being discharged from the hospital, it's another transition of care as we call it. And their medications are being reviewed at that point also for just appropriateness. It's huge. So Daddy, let's come to you. So I know, you know, you're sort of on the other end of it, right? Where you have patients who are coming in and um, I'd imagine some of them are, are keen on getting some de-prescribing themselves. That's maybe why they're coming to a, a functional medicine trained nurse practitioner in, in, in the South. You bet. And that's what I see all day, every day are those patients that come in with 20, 30 prescriptions, although I am functional medicine. So I do tend to get the ones that seem to be a little bit healthier, but I'm in the South as well. I'm in Tennessee, Kirstie's in Kentucky. And you know, that's exactly what we get. Now, I focus on autoimmune. I get the sickest of the sickest of autoimmune patients in the office. And we are weaning down daily on benzodiazepines and antidepressants and uh, you name it, NSAIDs and birth control, things like that. So, yeah, we um, we work and, and Kirstie and I work hand in hand with lots of things. But, yes, we get the same the same patients. So let me ask you this. So when you see a patient and you're able to like de-prescribe them, um, mm -hmm. you know, either because you're rec reconciling, you know, their prescriptions or right. they're getting healthier and they don't need it as much, you know, how, how do those kind of conversations then go with the sort of the rest of the medical profession who are obviously very clear that the, the patient needed that? Well, they don't, they don't go very smoothly in the South. I can only speak for the South. I cannot speak for the rest of the country, but they, they, they don't go very smoothly. Although today I got a brand new patient today sent in from an endocrinologist and the patient wanted to try something different. And she was sent to me today. I hadn't even told you that, Kirstie, today from the endocrinologist. She said, you need to go see Danny Williamson. She's the one who can help you come down on this thyroid medicine. So as a rule, it doesn't go over very well. So there's not a whole lot of um, crosstalk between the providers, not, not at all. And they're not interested, honestly, in what a nurse practitioner who has stepped out of the box and is now working with root cause medicine, who stepped out of allopathic medicine, they're not interested at all, really, in what I have to say about it. So... They generally don't return phone calls. That's how it goes. So I do what I do and our patients get better and we start weaning down on things and, you know, their heartburn starts getting better and we wean off the Nexium and, and, and we go from there by managing, by, you know, addressing root cause issues. What happened that caused that migraine or that high blood pressure or that diabetes or joint pain or heartburn, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, Kirsty, I think you have some statistics here on like sort of just the level of polypharmacy that's happening in America and in that patient population. Can you can you take us into that for a moment? Yeah, I wrote some stuff down earlier. So, you know, I saw a quote when I was kind of researching for this that said, de-prescribing is good prescribing. Yeah, yeah, like, that's great. Isn't that great? And so yes. what we see happening, what Danny can, you know, speaking to earlier is that with these patients and all these medicines, we get into this pill for every ill trap, right? It's this vicious cycle. And 
at some point we're prescribing medications because of the side effects of other medications. And I'm excited to talk about that later as far as like how that goes along with drug induced nutrient depletions. But yeah, some stats, let's see. So deprescribing, now this was in patients who were in like nursing homes, but deprescribing can reduce the risk of hospitalization by 36% and the risk of death by 26 to 38%. Now that's a specific niche, you know, group of like your elderly or frail patients, but that's significant. Yeah. And then in the ambulatory yeah. setting, in the ambulatory setting, so that's what a lot of us are in, right? Can decrease mortality by twenty six percent. Unbelievable. Yeah. So well, we know that medications, right? I mean, even well prescribed medications are harm, like can be harmful. Like all medications can have side effects. So, and we don't have studies. We don't have studies showing how 30 something medications work together. We don't have safety data on that. No one studied that. (laughs) No. And I had a stat from, oh gosh, from Susie Cohen from drug muggers uh, from years ago, at least half of all the drugs prescribed in the United States commonly deplete specific nutrients mm-hmm. at least half of them right that amazing my mom's in assisted living she has alzheimer's she's on i don't know how many medications you know and was having leg twitches and all kinds of things she wasn't on one supplement and she was on two different alzheimer's medications and all and 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 some balta and prozac and just multiple things and we started her on a little bit of magnesium and some b6 and some b12 no more twitches no more serotonin. She almost had like a serotonin syndrome effect, you know, and this constant jerking. Yeah, at least half of the pharmacy or pharmaceuticals in the in the country deplete. Well, we're going to get into that. I'm really excited here today to talk a little bit about not only drug nutrient uh, depletion, and we'll get into that as we go along, but also one of the things that I know that you guys are really passionate about and and we'll talk about is the effect on the microbiome. But let's let's leave that for a minute. I just want to I want to pull up something for you guys to look at. So this is actually from a presentation I was giving uh, last week. And on the left hand side here, this was from Nature 2015. And um, it was called Imprecision Medicine. And I think, uh, I think I was at like a PLMI event when Jeff Bland put it up there. And they says, for every person that they do help, and that's the you know black or the blue people here, mm-hmm. the t- t- 10 highest grossing drugs in the United States fail to improve the conditions of between three and 24 people. So, you know, the, the reason why this is really important is because Pharmaceutical companies generally use all sorts of tricks to try and show people that what they're doing is more valuable. And they use things that, you know, those of us who are familiar with it, you know, you saw in the pandemic too, like, you know, relative risk ratios and absolute risk ratios. Ultimately, though, the question that you want to know is how many, you know, if I give this, if 10 people come into my office and they all have, you know, uh, autoimmune condition, and I give them all Humira, how many are going to get better, get better from that? And you can see here, you like Humira is one in four. So that's a drug that costs, you know, $5,000 a pop. That's one in four. I mean, Danny, you said you treat a lot of um, autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there's downstream effects of taking Humira for any period of time, because it's kind of turning down the immune system. But when I saw this, this here, I mean, you could just look Abilify one in five, Nexium's like one in 24, Crestor's one in 20. You know, you look at these numbers, Remicade. I mean, these are, these are serious um, drugs that have been used all across the country. 
you know, can, you know, the, it, it, it seems crazy that this is like the first port of call for most people in healthcare when we know what we know. Well, well, we that's know where the money is, know. right? That's where the money is. Yeah. Well, that's, that. Like these are expensive. This, oh, these nine drugs cost a lot of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And well, to your point, they, Danny, like most people don't know, and obviously that's the, the purpose of like getting the word out about functional medicine. And, you know, you see all those books that have been right behind you. I know you've written your own book as well, right? To try and get the word out to say, hey, right. there's, there's more options here. And they don't know, you know, and I, as a, as a nurse practitioner, went to a fantastic school. I was not taught that there's a root cause for everything that we have going on. For me, it was, you know, I have lupus and or an irritable bowel syndrome and chronic itching. I was never taught in school. There's a root cause for your patient's lupus. She wasn't born with lupus. Figure out what the root cause is. And, you know, so these healthcare providers, they weren't taught that. But unlike Kirstie and I and you, they've never stepped out of the box to learn anything differently. Ever. I mean, they haven't. Now, your people have, the people that are watching, but our traditional, you asked how do the other providers, you know, react to deprescribing and all. Well, they don't react well because they don't even understand. They treat symptoms every day. Right, Kiersey? Yep. I mean, the only providers, since we can speak frankly about this because we're addressing other provider groups, the only providers I've seen who are even more open-minded tend to be your osteopathic trained physicians. They right. do tend to be a little, and Danny's son's actually in DO school, but they do yeah. tend to be a little bit more open-minded um, as far as de-prescribing yeah. and, right. and hesitant, I shouldn't say hesitant, but less eager to prescribe medication to address an issue when there's something else that could be done. Right. Absolutely. And they also don't have the time. You mentioned it. They've got five, six minutes, you know, as a health, as a, as a, as a, a functional medicine provider, I have an hour and a half with my new patients and 30 minutes with my follow-ups and they don't have the time to tease this out. Yeah. Well, where's the money coming from? It's coming from the yeah. insurance company who's paying them for ICD-10 codes and the medications that their patients are adhering to. Absolutely. Well, look, yes. uh, before we get into the, 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 the microbiome stuff, I guess, you know, one of the things that's happened in the last couple of years is we've seen a lot of doctors sort of make their way to try and learn some of these things, right? When you look at the data of, let's say, vitamin D and COVID, you know, you, you don't have to look at too many of those papers to think, man, I should really like learn about that because it seems like it's having a big effect on, on my patient's um, resilience. So we've seen a lot of doctors coming this direction. I've heard it from the supplement companies. I've heard it from the education companies. You know, I've, I've seen it, you know, myself and even some of the work that we're doing to try and get doctors to embrace lifestyle medicine, the systems to embrace lifestyle medicine. I'd love it. I don't know if either of you could comment on this or if you understand, but you know, in the same way that that COVID, you know, made the chronic acute, right? So, you know, you could live your life with your chronic condition for a long time. And then suddenly COVID comes along and something that was like, well, it might, you know, only reduce my time of life at the end of my life or my quality of life at the end of your life. Suddenly it was an acute issue because it's like me having a chronic illness today is massively increasing my chance of dying today from this, you know, from this new virus. And I guess, what sort of extra risk is put on patients if they're on 40 medications for an acute infection? <laughs> <Kirstie>. <laughs> I, don't, 
as someone who has spent the last two and a half years inside a hospital, yes, I can tell you firsthand that regardless of what, can I speak very frankly, James? Can I just say this out there? Okay. Okay. So regardless of what the media is telling people that this is an illness that is deadly and detrimental to anyone, regardless of their health history, that's not what I saw. I didn't see a single patient who was healthy in that hospital. Not a single one. Didn't see a single patient who was healthy die. Multiple comorbidities, Mm -hmm. obesity, all the things that we as functional medicine providers know, like underlying inflammation, like chronic inflammation. No one was even looking at inflammation or vitamin D levels. No one was paying any attention to that stuff. And still even towards the end, no one was paying attention to it. Nope. Nope. So they're not. No. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm glad. I mean, I I think I think everyone, you know, well, people in our world know that. I guess I just I feel like, um, you know, that that COVID did a lot to make the chronic acute, made it so clear to people that there was a bigger problem than just having a chronic illness. You know, it was a it was a it was a deathly issue. And the reason why I ask is that, you know, there are other countries that are as close to being as unhealthy as America, right? England is almost as unhealthy as America. But even in England, the level of prescribing is way lower. And so like somehow we have to kind of piecemeal and and sort of piece apart. Why did so many Americans die in the pandemic compared to other countries, you know, in that way? And I guess, you know, part of the thing that we talked about early on was just that being on certain medications is going to mess with the receptors. Okay, so you can go through my opinion on that much further back in other episodes I had. I thought this is interesting. I, I, I didn't remember I said I wasn't going to share the whole thing. You can go listen to the whole thing. It's on YouTube. I don't think they have a podcast where you can go listen. I don't make video. I'm advertising the videos. I don't have the time for it. I don't have the space. I have to figure this out. I'm not technically challenged. But it's funny because I don't think like functional medicine's all where it's at. I think it's amazing. But we were misdiagnosed with my husband two years ago by a functional medicine. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. And they did maybe some good when we, we changed diet, but that didn't help the situation. If they would have said, okay, you should do a liver cleanse. They don't even talk about cleanses. This is why you see multiple people and you have a health coach and you have like a holistic nurse like this, who's on your side, who is knowledgeable about these things. Okay, let me see if I can get the other video up that I want you to hear. You just have to bear with me. And if it's um, lost, I will hit pause real quick and I'll find it, which I'm going to do. All right, now it's time to tie in this interview that Dr. Karen Midday did with his glory. Um, So I want you to hear this. I thought it was pretty good. It's absolutely incredible. And you're just, you're full of life, literally. Thanks, Pastor Dave. It's great to see you. I saw you not that long ago in Kansas. And um, 
been through quite a bit since I last saw you. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I don't know how much you want to talk, tell the audience what you've gone through, but this is an absolute yeah. miracle from God. Well, um, I can say that I was in St. Pete, Florida, visiting some people and, um, I had a friend who had a small plane similar to a Cessna called a Piper and flew, um, from St. Pete back to Georgia, flew over the water mostly. <laughs> Everything was okay until seven miles outside of noon in Georgia. This is June 26 when engines started to have trouble. Uh, the pilot notified, um, air traffic control, they diverted us to another airport, which is strange because I thought that if you have a lot of engine trouble, you should just land wherever there's flat surface, but I'm not a pilot. Right. So I'm like, oh dear God, we have to go longer to another airport. So as soon as I knew it engine problems, I put my hand on the right uh, side of the plane, my left hand on the ceiling, and I was praying with my whole being, Yeshua HaMashiach, we are covered under your blood. God, save us. Father, save us. And um, when I was praying, I saw a large hand under the plane and a big hand, another large hand on the top of the plane and wings covering each side. And I knew that we, he had us. Also, what helped keep me calm is that because it took a while to crash, this is not a fast thing. <laughs> you get to think a lot, right? So what I remember was um, about 25 years ago, God gave me a message and he said, you will not die in a plane crash. That's not how you will leave this world. And I was very confident. And I was just telling my friends the day before the plane crash, God told me I'm not going to die in a plane crash. I actually said that. And so I remember that coming to me, which helped keep me calm. And um, then I thought, well, he never said I wouldn't be in a crash. So this is going to really hurt. <laughs> it's going to really hurt. So then, as you know, minutes go by, and then the RPMs were about 1,500. So we were descending from 8,000 feet altitude down to 5,000. It was at 5,000 we had engine trouble, then from 5,000 to 3,000, somewhere around there, probably about 3,000, it went to zero RPMs. At that time, the glide stopped, really. There was a little bit of a glide, but not much. And I'm like, this is supposed to happen in my head. Um, so the pilot was in communication with air traffic control saying, we're going to crash. He said, do what you have to. Um, there were, there's farmland, but the pilot said we had to go where this wooded area was to make the trees. And he said, because there were power lines, I, 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 at that time, I didn't remember, but perhaps there were. So we literally crashed from the top of the trees, not through. So there was no entry point seen from the outside, which is important to know. And so there are pine branches just flying into the windshield. Couldn't see much. Now, the pilot said there was a logger's trail maybe he could follow, but only God could have helped our plane follow that because there was no way you could see. So the impact was insane. It was like a bomb, like the ringing in the ear. It felt like a bomb, like everything, every sensory overload. And when the plane stopped, I was not sure if I was alive. It was like, am I alive? And then I realized, well, I'm inside my body and I have pain, so I must be alive. <laughs> um, the, there was no explosion. Thank goodness. The pilot lost consciousness at first and was in and out of consciousness from the whole time in the plane. And um, I realized quickly that no sirens were there, so it's not the movies. Nobody was looking for us. So the locator never went off. The air traffic control never notified 911. We found out that later. 
um, even though we knew we were crashing, which is strange. And uh, thank God we didn't blow up. So I knew that nobody was looking for us when I was I was reorienting reorienting the pilot because I'm like, no, we got in a plane crash. This is what happened. Blah blah blah. I started my doctor mode where I could look and see what was going on. I noticed my foot was turned 120 degrees the opposite direction. Oh my. And um, so I could feel the bones grinding and I was afraid my bone would cut through the skin. So I knew I had to get the pressure off of it. So I was able to extricate myself out the door and lay my body on the wing and just keep my foot inside the cockpit and that helped the pressure. Um, and so it was really hot that day. And it was, I got a burns through my clothing because it was so hot on the wing. Um, uh, able to find one of the phones and called 911. 911, you know, was going through algorithms like, where's your health insurance card? What COVID status? I mean, this is this, is this day and age now. Finally got it through to the, the dispatch. This is an emergency. We're not going to make it if you don't get here. Um, there's a lot of head trauma on the, the pilot. Uh, of course, you know, you know, I just knew what the immediate issues were. So she said, you know, help's on the way. Well, 15 minutes go by. Nobody's coming. And I finally realized that they were just trying to placate us. They said, you're lying. You don't know where we're at. And she admitted to us, no, we don't. I said, you could have told us that before. So I, uh, I decided to pin our location. But just so everybody knows, when you call 911, your phone is locked. No way can you do anything on your phone. So I had to really get the dispatch to understand, don't call me back because I can't pin my location. It took us a while to communicate that. So I pinned the location, sent it to a family, of a friend, a member of the pilot. The dispatch called that person, communicated where we were pinned location. So minutes go by, finally hear some muffled sirens in the background. Yes, okay, we're going to make it. Then the dispatch says, this is as far as they can get. There's no entry point from the outside. No one can tell where you're at. They have absolutely no idea. You're going to have to scream as loud as you can for them to really find you. Oh. And so this, at this point, it was about an hour goes by of laying on this plane, burning hot, right? And starting to go in a little bit of shock there. And so at that moment, though, it didn't matter because God gave me this voice so loud. It was like roaring like a lioness. I mean, I've never sounded like that. It wasn't my voice. It was God. And it was loud. And I didn't need to take a breath. And the dispatch said, take a breath. I'm like, no. And finally, a sheriff with a megaphone and I met um, and he said, we would have never found you if it wasn't for pinning and, and yelling. He said, there's no way. We would have died out there. Nobody would have known. Because also, FlightAware said that we landed, which is really strange. We were by the airport, but not that close to the airport. We did not land. So there's no way anybody would have looked for us for who knows how long. And he said they weren't even looking where that wooded area was. So... They had to cut down trees. Farmer came with his four by four bush hog to get us out. Uh, ambulance then medevaced to the trauma unit. So those were miracles. Another miracle was that they thought I was going to be paralyzed. Um, they put me on spinal precautions, and I remember thinking in my head, "Oh no, no way, no way, not happening, not my story." Like mental fortitude is so important. And sure enough. Um, about a couple hours later, the same surgeon came in and said, well, I don't know what happened, but I guess we looked at your scans wrong. We looked at them again, and you're fine. 
they're taking you off all spinal precautions. Uh, I guess we just looked at them wrong. But I think that was God and yeah. prayers. So, and then the last, that's the most important thing was when people were praying, I had set up a prayer uh, meeting, Zoom online meeting for that the next day after the crash. Now, this I did this on Friday, like two days before. I just said, this is it. We're all being attacked. Why don't, why, I'm tired of being on the defense. I want to be on the offense. Let's start you know, claiming authority, claiming dominion, praying, doing this together. And so that was that prayer group for that Monday. But really, I set it up for me and the pilot that got injured because at that moment, all these people came online, were praying for us. And I can tell you, I felt in my body this supernatural, electric, blue, fiery, pleasing sensation go through my body. And, um, especially in my leg it's like you can almost see the blue flames come out of it it was so fascinating and the prayers worked and when someone came and prayed and touched me i could feel it and it was just a testimony to the power of prayer when people think they can't do anything of course you can when you do it with your whole heart and you use the name the power in the name is power the life and death in the tongue it's true and wonderful thing is people were actually taking the time to pray wow you know what if we did that more often and 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 touched each other and then prayed right it's so powerful we could turn everything around and um, I know that I still have a purpose here obviously because I should I looked really bad at first but I've been able to heal really quickly I've had lots of other fractures but I don't really have pain from them still you know some things but nothing to complain about so i came out a praising god glory to god that's your mindset right and it wasn't upset i was just praising god and then also of more resolute about taking authority and dominion back over our land and our bodies and our children and not waiting to do this and i want to start traveling around and speaking in person with people and I'm tired of talking about COVID. I'm tired of talking about this, uh, whether or not there's a spike protein, blah, blah, blah. Because we keep going over the same issues without the solution. Yeah. And there's only one solution. Yeah. It's it's God and knowing where the truth is. It's in the scripture. Amen. Wow. I mean, just as I said before we went, before we taped this, I came down and I listened to them giving you the sound check. And I was like, I had to do a double take. I was like... I can't tell the difference from the last time I saw you in Kansas. Um, and I'm also surprised. I, As soon as I heard about it, I texted you, and I had our entire His Glory family in prayer. And you responded. I, I couldn't believe it. You responded in that condition. I, I couldn't move my body at all, except I could move my arms like this and like do this occasionally text. But I could not even lift my – I couldn't turn. I couldn't do anything. But so, somehow he's still able to do some texting because I'm like, I'm still okay. <laughs> oh, but I tell you what, that was that was one of the most beautiful texts I can ever remember because yeah. you, you made it through. So what's what, what do the doctors say about your recovery? Because as you said, uh, God has a huge plan for you. Uh, well, you know, the I, I think God, I, I prayed for God to uh, guide the surgeon's hands because I didn't have a choice where I went. They just, it was a trauma, right? And for what I had, for the damage I had in the bones, he did a really good job of piecing it together like a puzzle. I have to have a lot of bones still grow in the holes. There's a lot of holes. Um, so 
you know, in three months, we'll see if, if anything else needs to be done. So I just have to be non-weight bearing. But I have lots of balance. I'm still going, doing things. I have a scooter I use, so you can't, <laughs> it's hard to stop me. And I, I really, I feel so strongly, I'm so called to talk to other people, you know, to share this fiery passion, this Pentecostal fire that we have. Yep. Because the time is now. It's not later, it's now. And, and in person, it's so different than online. We can do some things online, but yeah. there's something like you're going to almost feel when you're you're with, with other, and you know this yeah. so well, Pastor Dave. Yeah. So, yeah, and um, talking to some other people, they have the same feeling I do right now. They're like, I'm just called to travel and, and speak to people about the good news and, and, and praying. I'm like, I know, we're all being called right now, aren't we? Yeah, that's what the Lord told me, because that's where we were. We were together in Kansas after that event. He says, I want you going into next year to start doing tent revivals all over the country. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's, I, I got chills with that. Yeah, Because well, that Kansas <laughs> event, yeah, I, mean, there, there, I don't know how many people were there, but it, the Spirit of the Lord was moving. Yeah. It was yeah, amazing. I know. That's what keeps me alive. That's what keeps me going. Yeah. You can't wait for other people to feel that way. And, and that's why people... That's why they keep placating themselves with money and material things and medicines and watching video games or Netflix. They're always searching and trying to fill this void that will never be full until they get connected with their Father Creator yeah. and really get that feeling, not what's been taught sometimes in many of these churches, which isn't correct. It's that personal relationship. And then knowing who you are and what you are, that you come from a royal birth line, royal divinity. I mean, you put your head up high. You won't let all these other things get you down, you know? And you walk the walk, you talk the talk, you start roaring like a lion and, and a lioness, and then those demons just shrill and run. And then you're praising God, even if something happens to you that's bad, they don't know what to do with that. They're not going to stop you. <laughs> As a general said to me, he looks me right in the eyes, and he says, they're after you, Dave. Don't worry about it. God has it. <laughs> yeah, so I said my internet connection is unstable, but it shouldn't be. It's no. Really good power, yeah. Yeah. yeah whatever. Yeah, they're, they're watching. Yeah, but you yeah. know what? That What did you say before we went live? You said, this does nothing but empower you. His glory partnership spotlight, my pillow. Uh, we want to support a great American Christian and patriot, Mike Lindell, what he's doing for this country. You can get all your uh, household items from MyPillow, from towels to pillows to bed sheets to slippers to robes to pajamas, dog beds, comforter, mattress toppers, uh, tons of products. I own them all right here in my hand. I have the slippers. They're incredible. They're like walking on pillows. We literally have the bed. We have four of the toppers we have the sheets we have the pillows we have the towels we have it all and creed and this is his glory also have the pajamas everything from my pillow is the best the best the best from my support mike uh use the promo code his glory Beverly Hills Precious Metals Exchange is a client-focused firm devoted to assisting our clients with precious metals. Our clients range from first-time to serious coin collectors and investors seeking to add precious metals to their investment portfolios. We are not interested in volatile investments, leveraged products, and intangible assets. With rising inflation and the devaluing of the dollar hurting middle-class families, investing in gold and silver ensures protection for your hard-earned money. Save the value of your money today by investing in gold and silver at Beverly Hills Precious Metals. And we're back. A little internet connection. 
which I don't think it's an internet connection, but Dr. Carey is back. Where do we leave back off? With you. You're back with me. Uh, where do we leave off? Uh, we're just talking about taking dominion back, right. claiming authority over ourselves and our land and not being bystanders anymore. And I always tell people, apathy is still an answer, guys. Not doing something, you're still answering. Yeah. It's not a good answer. So it doesn't take much and it doesn't take money to do something. It's uh, it's praying, being there for the body of Christ. That was the other thing I was talking to Brad Cummings the other day. And I said, the, the message that came to me this new year from God was, okay, gather your tribe. When the time comes, you'll know what to do. I'm like, I'm in little podunk town, Georgia. I said, I'm going to gather my tribe. And so I said, could you give me a little bit more? Um, and I... Uh, God said, listen, you can't really prepare, like, you know, prepper, because it's you You can't fathom what's about to happen in your human mind. He said, but the tribe, each one of you will be able to provide for the other when the time is right, and that will be your manna. Mm. And obviously that makes sense, because we're so isolated from one another, we're so independent, and we lost that communal way of living, and we need the body of Christ. We need to come together and be knitted. Each one of us has a puzzle piece that fits right in. Um, that means, you know, maybe we need to start living closer to each other and sharing resources That's right. so that we're not so scared because people don't do the right thing because they're scared. They think nobody else will be there for them. If there's just one person that you know that has your back no matter what through thick or, thick or thin, you would have that courage to do what the thing is that's right, whether it's to say no to vaccines at your job, to stand up for your child and take them out of school when they're doing the wrong thing um, because there's a community there. It takes a village to raise a kid. It takes yeah. a village to help me heal too but then you're like i'll do the right thing and if another person does the right thing another one spreads like wildfire so we need the body of christ to grow and get stronger and to me tithing is not necessarily just giving to your church it means to give to others within the body of christ or those lost souls out there so i know someone's struggling in their work i'll help them out maybe get some food or hey i'll share rides with you or you know why don't we do more of these things and look for how we can help one another that's so powerful that's how we get through any hard time we can prep all day long and stay hiding in the house but that's not going to get you through anywhere right so that's step one and then the next steps will come to us yeah, uh, you're you're so right. We 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 need to be united. It's there is nothing like being uh, with somebody face to face. You and I have been on Zoom calls uh, on His Glory before. It's not the same uh, when we meet in person. And you can tell who your tribe is. You, you just know. You get the sense of the Holy Spirit, and you get a smile on your face, and you go like, "She's with me. I know she's with yeah. me." Uh, which yeah. is what I what I sensed in. Um, in Kansas, where we're in Kansas, you blew me away in your speech, and I don't get blown away very often. I've listened to a lot of speeches, but that was filled with the passion of, of the Holy Spirit. And then when you were starting to talk about Nimrod, I was like, "Oh my goodness!" <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that was another one. Um, so, I've had a strange life, but I've always had um, one of those people that got some visions at times. I don't know when they're going to come, or it doesn't happen often. When they do, they are powerful so um i was married once and this was back in march of 2003 and it was work night and so i was almost asleep and my my husband at the time said hey 
um, why are you standing over the bed? I'm like, I was standing over the bed, argued a little bit. He said, well, then there's an angel in the room. I'm like, oh, gosh, really? And so I look, and I screamed, and I put my face in the pillow, and sure enough, was this, this, this figure of electric blue plasma, I don't know, this being, right? And it went above the bed to, there were huge, three huge ones. And then shortly after in the room, maybe a, it seemed like hundreds, if not a thousand, layer upon layer of all different sizes and kinds. And I didn't know at the time there were any different kinds of angelic beings. I had to look it up later. I'm like, oh, there are. And then the telepathic message I got was that um, they were just showing themselves in this form because this is what we would knew, how we would associate them, okay? Not necessarily did they look like that. So at the time, had two cats and two dogs. They were interacting with them, too. They could see them. Um, we both saw the same thing, um, couldn't audibly hear, but telepathic message, uh, that happened to be the day we went to war with Iraq that day. And so the message was, look, something really, really, really bad happened this day. You need to be prepared and we're showing ourselves to you so that you know that we've always been here for you, always will be for you. We have, you know, so many armies of angels willing and always here fighting for you, not just me, but for humanity, right? Yeah. And that you're going to have to know this in the future because you're going to go through some really hard things. And so for 72 hours, three days, they were all around. They didn't stop. Lights on, lights off. I had to go work in the intensive care unit as a resident in Macon, Georgia. They were there. And it was hard to keep myself sane and not looking at them all the time. Um, I didn't sleep because I did not need sleep. It was just ecstasy. There are just there and then slowly they dissipated away so over the course of the years divine appointments met people in the military that were there the day they went we went to a war with iraq it's one or two were special ops yep. they said that we were there for the artifacts and also for the nimrod's tomb sometimes called gilgamesh that's why we were there there's no oil no weapons of mass destruction nothing else is only for Nimrod slash Gilgamesh and for the weapons of mass destruction. And so Wall Street Journal has an article you can still look up talking about this, that we had a Delta Force and some other special forces there. Bloodiest battle that ever took place during this time is a tomb was under the, the desert with tons of water surrounding it. So they had to drain the water. They claim that we did find all these artifacts, also a resurrection chamber. Some people speculate, is that a Stargate? Who knows? Um, that was uh, um, discovered. They claim his body wasn't there, but it was of a giant body. Yep. So, like, huge crown and huge rings. Um, there's rumors that they did find the body. They just weren't admitting that. But if you know, I mean, we know about Nimrod, Gilgamesh, and that, you know, he wanted to kill God. He built the Tower of Babel. Yep. And the first one world, everything was through him, just like we're going through right now. This is a repeat, nothing new under the sun. Um, so, you know, more than one person, I verified that. So that was, uh, that made sense to me. That almost, that was a heralding of, of, of opening up a Pandora's box and what is this resurrection chamber thing? Uh, there's some rumors that he went, uh, the body went to under the ground in Denver. Wow. Who knows? <laughs> but I was reminded of this because of the Clinton email dump. There's the Freedom of Information Act, and one of the emails was uh, said, not if, 
but where is the body of Nimrod now and where is the resurrection chamber? Not, not if, where is it now? It was answered but blacked out, of course. So this you know, reminded me of what's going on. I did some checks and found out that DARPA had um, one of their main programs called Nimrod by okay. chance. So lots of things there. Unbelievable. And I was just telling you that, that Noah Harari is, is, is talking about Project Gilmesh as we speak. You can't make this stuff <laughs> I need, up. I know. You told me that, so now I'm going to have to research that and find out a lot more about that. Um, but yes, this, nothing is coincidence. It all makes sense, doesn't it? But we have to remember who is the most powerful is our Father Creator. That's nothing right. can trick God. And Nimrod, uh, we, we don't pick this up in our, our scripture. Uh, the book of Yasser is an ancient Jewish book. Uh, it's referenced in our Bible three times. It's not canon, but it is go, it does go deeper into Nimrod. It is not only did he t build the Tower of Babel. They were trying to shoot God out of the third heaven. <laughs> Psychotic people, right? Absolutely. Entities. Not, they're not, they're entities. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, and I, and I do know from military sources that we did we did find the Tower of Babel uh, in Iraq. We found the handwriting of the, on the wall in the Book of Daniel. The, the American troops were staged there during the Iraq War, but I never heard about that part that you talk about Nimrod. It's fascinating because I know what they were trying to do with it. They were trying to manipulate his DNA to recreate another offspring yeah. of that. Is what they were doing. I mean, well, and so also. I think they were trying to take some of the genetic material and hopefully use that uh, to import parts into different people. So that could be a way of connecting, <laughs> you know, there are all kinds of psychotic things, but no matter what they do, they can't trick or outsmart God. So I always tell people, although it sounds frightening, remember who's in charge. Just remember that. Wow. Talk about selling your soul as our government. Uh She's yeah. un unbelievable. You mentioned the angels. Um, that's in the book of Enoch too. E Enoch is is canon in in some some uh, de uh, denominations, but it, it talks about the ranks of angels and uh, different levels of angels. God is so specific in His angels. We have them all over our ministry and the ministry next door. I I've had them play jokes on me and turn my <laughs> chair, and they think it's funny. <laughs> So they're, they're around us, and uh, they, they, they're in awe of us. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's true. People need to remember that we're not alone. There's so many more of us than there are of them. Um, the supernatural is real. The church has done a disservice of not teaching about the supernatural because that's, to me, more real than this world that we're living in right now. This world's like playing a movie in front of our eyes, telling us all these lies and deceit and smoke and mirrors because it's what Lucifer does, right? right? He's the adversary. So go back to the Bible, which is the source of truth. That is what we can depend on. So angels are real, and people used to interact with them all the time. I think of the big differences they believed. <laughs> you know, if you just don't want to believe something, you will literally not see it. So you can actually block things out of your mind and not see something that's in front of you, which is the scales on your eyes. So, you know, to take the scales of your eyes, you have to have faith and belief. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden you will see the unseen, which to me is more real than what we're doing in right now. And then it's exciting. You're alive. You're like, okay, I got this. Yeah. Um, and seeing that how prayers are powerful and, and that's the whole book is relevant. The whole book is telling you, 
what we can do is, as sons and daughters of God, we can lay on of hands and cure ourselves and cure others. We can praise the dead. We can de- cast out demons. Demons are real, guys. It's a supernatural. Yeah. So they cause afflictions and, and devastation on us. So cast them out in the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Cast them out. Use the authority. It's the power of the blood. And start doing it and acting it. And, but you can't, if you say it, you don't believe it. It doesn't work. You know, you have to like just live it and own it and know that that's when you finally become alive. That's true. You know, and our churches, we're in this mess because of the church and God is cleaning the bride right now, the church, the true church uh, and and separating the false church. You know, 45% of all pastors coming out of some, I call it cemetery, seminary today, (laughs) don't, do not believe in a literal hell. If we don't believe in a literal hell, and they're taking over the pulpits. Do you think they're going to know about demons? And they're going to believe in angels? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Hell is real. Just, I can promise people that demons are real. Hell is real. And I always said, I said this in Kansas. I said, if, if anybody gets a taste of one or two minutes in either place, heaven or hell, you would pray so much more, sacrifice more, love more, create more, worship more. You would do so much more, I promise you. Absolutely. If you just had a taste of eternity in either place. And so don't wait, don't have a near-death experience. Don't go through things like you or I have to get to that moment. Do it now. It's, it, it's, it's everything, everything. Material things matter nothing. They are part of the dead world. You know, we have our citizenship in heaven if we choose. Yeah, and it's real. I, 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 was, I came from the corporate world, and uh, I wasn't a non-believer in the supernatural, but uh, I woke up real quick when I was taken to heaven and had experience in heaven. And you're never the same when you come back. I even tried to fight it. You know, you can't fight God. It's like, I, I'm going to go back to the corporate world. And he goes, no, 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 you're not. You're going you're gonna to create this thing called his glory, and I'm going to walk uh, you through it. Uh, that's but, awesome. Yeah. I love hearing your story. You have so many stories, actually, because it wasn't just one time, several times. Yeah, three times. You know, two, times uh, <laughs> two times I left my body. Uh, then, I, then, I, then I got crazy, and I said, uh, you know what? If this is real, I want to see Jesus at the end of my foot, uh, on the end of my bed. I couldn't even get the prayer out, and there he was glowing. And like wow. you I feel the Holy Spirit when I just uh, when I I said that. Yeah. Is, <laughs> When you experience that unconditional love of God in heaven and him around us, there's, there's nothing like it. Why wouldn't you want to embrace that? That's what it's all about. That's what the church needs to do. Doesn't like all the material things kind of fade away when you have that feeling, when you know, like there's nothing else that matters. Yeah. And then you realize how silly you were about worrying about X, Y, Z, you know, and, and of course we don't always have these experiences all the time. That's where the body of Christ comes in. You know, I have people tell me, all you need is Jesus. Like, no, you you actually, we're human. We actually need each other. So the body of Christ is integral. It is imperative so that we all can be there for one another. It's not an easy road, you know. Right. Um, So we are, we have to make this body of Christ stronger and stronger. And we can do it. It doesn't take money. It just takes some effort. And caring and love, just like the, the the covenant with God, we're supposed to love ourselves, love each other, and love God with all our might, right? Yeah. Um, it's it shouldn't be that hard. So let's go back to you. <laughs> that what was it? What was that turning point for you? The when you saw the angels, that when you 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 caught fire for the Lord. Well, um, 
I I was just fascinated. I was just looking at all the different kinds, what they look like, at least they, what they're appearing to me, right? Um, and watching how, and kept thinking, this is just in my imagination, but it, but that's why my husband at the time saw it as a witness. And that's why the animals, and I'm like, well, maybe we would both have like a mass psychosis or something. No, right. but, the, but the animals, so all of these things, God made sure that all of my doubts would be answered because the animals all saw and were interacting and, you know, my husband at the time saw. Now, he was very upset because we all have different responses. He was scared. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> After the three days, they started to go more into like a, like a, just a, like a electric blue, greenish blue kind of form, not really in a shape. And then I realized I had seen them when I was a little kid. And I always told my mom the night moved, but it was pleasing. And that's what I would see. Um, you know, at the nighttime around my bed. So I just knew that for me, that's what I saw. Um, but that was, it's, it was an ecstasy. It just, I don't know how else to explain it. And then as the years went on, I started to doubt myself. But then I remember there's a person there to witness it with, with me. The animals did as well. Um, so it's it was powerful. And I didn't know why I needed to know about them until... Um, you know, really more recent times right now and understanding what's happening right now and knowing that, uh, you know, part of my story was I was speaking out on behalf of patients well before this COVID pandemic and telling people about their real ways they can be cured, um, noticing that there were bioweapons being used even back then on the population. So, you know, uh, my life was threatened. Um, A lot of things happened to me and in those moments where I wasn't sure I was going to be alive or not the next day, it was the memory of knowing that I, that God provided us with armies and armies of angels that we just had to call upon and knowing that it was real and knowing that even if I felt alone in the human world, I wasn't alone because when things were happening to me, you know, I was pushing people away from me because I don't want you to get hurt because I don't know what's going on, but I'm just trying to help people. But evidently, you're not supposed to help people as a doctor. So that was in 2015, and um, between 60 and 100 of my colleagues ended up dying in the next year or two. Um, and that was reported by Aaron Elizabeth. And that started in Georgia, and primarily Georgia and Florida. So that was, that was my next test because... Yep. I, I had to either condone and conform, and I was given an ultimatum that if I didn't join a certain university, my whole practice and me, which they stood for everything 180 degrees from me, then my personal well-being, welfare, and safety were in grave danger. And so this was a serious threat, and I, 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 there's given no choice. And I said, no, I won't do it. So I decided to just give up everything that I owned. I kept the practice running, but I just left it. I took my two dogs, eight suitcases, and went to Dominican Republic because I made a plan with my friends there. And then there I was. <laughs> no no material wealth, no identity in a way, right? It was going to be a really doctor there. And I didn't know the language. And that was that was a big lesson for me. That's when I really, really became filled with the Holy Spirit because... That was at that point where I knew I didn't have a human solution. I was on my hands and knees, and I said, I give up, God. I don't know what to do. I don't know why I'm still here. I don't know why I know what I know. I'm yours. And that's when finally the Holy Spirit came in because I didn't have any other preconceived notions. And I and I forgot that 
it wasn't by good works alone that we're saved. We were saved by his grace. And I needed to be taught that lesson because I thought, well, what if I did something else that more charitable work? What if I did this? And the bad things didn't stop. It didn't stop until I finally knew that I need him. And then our weakest moment, we become our our strongest, right? So um, while I was there, it took some years. I said, I'm your vessel. I'm your servant. What, what can I do to do stop this? And um, it wasn't until what, until, um, you know, the pandemic happened that this restlessness started in my body before that time. And it was such a, this energy mounting. So the day of the lockdown is when this big weight came off my shoulders and the message came to me, now we can begin. And then I realized all the things that happened in my life, like a movie, everything had a purpose and intention. And that's just overwhelming because God does love us. Even with these horrible things that happen to us, he just, we don't understand the reasons for them. But for me, this is all these things had to happen in the succession that they did to get me to this point. And I still am going through things. It doesn't, it's not necessarily, it stops, but each time I get refined and the shining, you know, it pushes you to shine more for him and for more of our brothers and sisters out there to see that uh, God, our father is real and that this is a spiritual battle, but hey, we know who wins in the end. We're getting there. We're getting really close. Um, so I'm happy to be here as his servant. Yeah, you, you know we're really close if you look what happened to you and what's happened this last couple of days with, you know, President Trump yesterday and uh, what Mike Lindell's going to do this next coming week. Uh, the intense. Okay, so that's where I'm going to end it. You can see you got most of the conversation there. You can go support. Glory, if you think that is something that you think is worthwhile. I just thought um, this is an interesting combination to put on a podcast. Um, medicines that deplete your body of nutrients and spiritual healing still exists. So hopefully you are prayerful. I hope you reach out to me. I'm getting my business together here in Salem. I'm looking forward to have a um, holistic wellness spa in the Oregon area. I look forward to meeting you. God bless.